friends. You're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. there and welcome back to another episode of Crickets to Cha-Chings. My name is Lauren and today on the podcast we are going to be talking about something that a lot of people struggle with and they may or may not even really know that they're struggling with it. A lot of times people will come to me with issues with their Etsy shop or issues with kind of struggling to gain traction in their shop but There are two different ways that this shows up in your stats and kind of two different problems that people are actually struggling with that they group together in their minds. The first one is a low quantity of traffic overall. You just don't get a whole lot of views and visits to your shop. That is almost always a problem with your Etsy SEO and we talk about that extensively On this podcast and in my Scale Your Sales program, I have done a lot of teaching about it, so hopefully you've heard me talk about SEO again. Um, If there is something in your SEO that you still need help with or you still need guidance with, I do have the free SEO checklist as well if you're interested in downloading that at laurenkeplinger.com forward slash checklist. So a low overall absolute volume of traffic traffic is usually an SEO problem. On the flip side of that issue or an alternative issue that people don't really know where the problem is, is what we're gonna talk about today. And that is when people have traffic to their shop, they are getting a decent amount of traffic, they're getting visits and views, but those people are not buying. Their sales are really low and their conversion rate is really low. And the problem is not the actual traffic that they're getting or the number of visits and views that they're getting. It is that relationship between the number of people who are actually choosing to buy from their shop versus the number of people who are coming in and seeing their stuff. So what is your conversion rate? If that is not a term that you're familiar with or you are sitting there like, I don't really know what my conversion rate is, Um, I don't really know if that's my problem or not. Um, Your conversion rate is the rate at which your visits are converting into buyers or the number of buyers that come into your shop and decide they want to make a purchase as a percentage of overall visits and views to your shop. So if you have 100 people come into your shop and three of them purchase, then you have a 3% conversion rate. So how do you know if your conversion rate is good or not? Typically, conversion rates for newer shops hover around one or two, one to two percent. And for more established shops, if you have a higher rate of sales, if you've been around longer, you have more reviews, all of those things, it usually hovers around three to five percent. So those are kind of the numbers that we're aiming for or the goal here, that three to 5% for more established shops, one to 2% for newer shops. It can be a little bit lower or higher, I guess, depending on what you're selling, what industry you're in. If you sell very high priced things, it's likely that it will be a little bit lower. 
um, just the nature of people buying higher price things. They're not impulse buying as much. So why does your conversion rate matter? What is the real importance of this? A piece of your Etsy SEO that is more abstract and less tangible in what they're telling us is important for your shop and for your visibility as a shop is your quality score. Etsy has told us that the quality score has to do with how people are interacting with your items on the platform. Do they click on the picture when your picture comes up in search? Do they click through the listing and look at all the pictures? Do they spend time in your shop looking through multiple items, browsing, window shopping, and ultimately, do they add it to the cart and check out? Are people actually interested in buying this item? If you have a ton of traffic to your shop, but nobody actually buys it, then what that is telling, the feedback loop there is telling Etsy that even if they drive traffic to your listing through the search and they put you up high in the search so that there's a lot of people clicking on your listing and there's a lot of people seeing your stuff, no one is actually gonna purchase what you are selling. <laughs> and as a platform with limited opportunity for people to be in the highest ranking position as, of search, and as a platform that wants to make money, obviously, through listing fees and selling fees and transaction fees, it does not benefit them to have really high ranking products that nobody wants to buy, that they are seeing as not um, converting well or not having this good quality score. The buyer doesn't want to interact with it in a way that ultimately makes a purchase. They want to place the items that are most likely to sell highest in the search. Otherwise, Etsy as a platform isn't making any money, so that makes sense. So this all goes back to your quality score and that feedback that your listing and the way that buyers are interacting with your listing is, is giving that information to Etsy about whether or not this is a product that people like. And this is really important as a part of your ranking in the Etsy search. So if you're in the position of having a low conversion rate, what does that mean for your shop and how do you improve it? We're gonna walk through four major things that I see contribute to conversion rates in a negative way and how you can improve those um, so that you can hopefully improve the amount of people who are coming into your shop and making that decision to purchase, which obviously will help not only your actual sales and your revenue in your shop, but also your conversion rate, which then helps your placement in the search and it just becomes this whole loop that helps you in general. So the first thing I wanna talk about is your pictures. Maybe your first picture caught the eye of the buyer from the search page, so they clicked on it. But then from there, you only have that one picture, so they don't have anything else to look at. That is their only image that they can see as a comparison you know, of what they're buying, and, and that's it. That's, that's the only view that they get. Or maybe your pictures are kind of confusing, or they're blurry, or they don't match up with what you are describing in the actual description. Let's say you've described it in your title as a pink stone for a necklace, but then there are pictures that show different colors of stones. 
Or maybe you have a pair of earrings that you're selling, but then you're showing different variations in the pictures, but you don't offer different variations. Buyers can only base their purchase off of what you are showing in your picture and the information that you are giving them. So you wanna make sure that your pictures are a really accurate reflection of what you're selling in terms of the colors, the clarity, the size, the scale of what you're doing, ways that they can use it. You wanna make sure that these are all accurate. Pictures are a super important part of your listing and you also wanna make sure that adding more pictures to your listing or that the, list, the pictures that you have in your listing don't confuse the buyer and make them wonder exactly what they're getting. If you have problems with your pictures or you struggle to get decent quality pictures, which I know is a huge struggle for all of us, myself included, Photography is not my jam. I dread doing it, and it's something that I have consistently struggled with, even though I've been doing this for a long time. I would highly recommend that you go back to episode number 35. It was an episode that I did with Becca Ellison, who is a product photographer. The episode is called Mastering the Art of Product Photography, and it really helps to walk you through the lighting and the staging and the angles and things that you should think about if you are looking at trying to up the quality of your product photography. The next thing I wanna talk about are your descriptions. Are your descriptions confusing? This is a big one that I see with listings. Just like the photos, you don't want your, um, your description, your actual words that you're writing about this product to confuse your buyer either. The photos look great, the price point's good, the product itself looks amazing, but then I go to purchase and I'm confused about what I'm actually getting because the description is worded in a weird way or it's not super descriptive. It's not super clear what the product is, the quantity I'm getting or whatever. Is the art framed? Is it not framed? Am I getting a red one or a blue one? Or is the chain on the necklace 10 inches or 18 inches? Does it have all the elements shown in the picture or are those variations that I have to pay extra for? If your pictures don't match up with the description, it can be a real stumbling block for a buyer because they start to read about what they're gonna be getting when they check out and they pay and they're not exactly sure that they're buying the thing that they're thinking that they're buying. Now I know that we all feel like buyers never read the description, so it doesn't really matter anyway. And I think that as long as everything makes sense and it's very clear what you're getting, it's very simple and you know there's no confusion, that probably most buyers really mostly skim through the descriptions. However, if you have a product that has pictures that show variations or you have additional elements in your picture or their choices or personalization or whatever, I think people are a lot more likely to read the description because they wanna make sure that the information that they're giving you, you know, for example, in a personalization box, is the information that you need. And you don't want to confuse them by not having clear-cut instructions on how they do that. There's a marketing saying that says, if you confuse, you lose. The more someone has to think about your offer, your listing, and your product, and figure out exactly what you're selling and what is included and what they're actually getting, the less likely they are to buy. 
They have plenty of other options on the platform. They probably even have plenty of options that look very similar to yours. So if yours is confusing and they hit a stumbling block, not really sure whether or not this is exactly what they're thinking about, they can find another shop that has that a lot more clear. Make sure that your descriptions are explicitly clear about what you are selling, what it is made of, what the process is of how you made it, what color it is, what size it is, how it fits, etc. Don't leave anything to the imagination or assume that your buyer knows enough about the product or enough about the industry that you're in that they can figure it out themselves. Next up is shipping. If you have a lot of views to your shop and maybe you even have a lot of things in people's shopping carts where it says that, you know, 20 people have this in their cart or whatever, but they are not converting into sales, one of the big things that I think that you should look at is your shipping costs. I know that this is a controversial thing. People who don't like free shipping really, really don't like free shipping. <laughs> but I want to bring this to your attention because it can be a really big stumbling block for people. I would say with 99.9% .9 certainty, if your shipping is expensive, it is going to lower your conversion rate. Now, what constitutes expensive shipping? That's really variable and really subjective and really depends on your industry. Some people say that they like to offer $5 flat rate shipping and their buyers love that and they don't want free shipping and they want to keep their pricing the same as it is right now and offer that flat rate shipping. Some people say they will never ever buy anything that doesn't have free shipping. Some people don't care at all and they'll pay whatever for shipping and they don't care about free shipping and it doesn't impact them at all. So a lot of it is going to depend on your pricing of your products your profit margins, and how much of the shipping cost you can absorb into the cost of your product and your industry and competition and what they're doing. Now, normally I do not recommend that you spend a whole lot of time thinking about or doing research about your competition because I don't think it's a very good use of your time or your emotional energy or the rabbit hole that we have a tendency to go down where you find somebody who's just doing such an amazing job in the industry that you are in and then all of a sudden it becomes very discouraging because you're like, well, they're already doing it. Where do I fit into this? How can I compete with that? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's a whole different rabbit trail that we're not gonna talk about today. It's a different conversation for a different day. However, I do think in terms of the shipping costs and the industry specific things about shipping, you need to have a pulse on what other people in your industry are doing for shipping. For example, if you sell wooden signs, which are going to be heavier, obviously, because they're wood, and thus more expensive to ship, are your competitors offering free shipping? If they are, what is their pricing on the item to include that free shipping? If they are not, what is the pricing for that item and how much are they charging for shipping? You wanna make sure that the way that you are showing up in the search puts you and your product and your pricing in a competitive light compared to the people who are showing up in the searching ne search next to you. So like if you offer a sign for $45 and the person next to you offers a sign for $25 but then charges $20 for shipping, it may be kinda hard for you to compete with that because they're showing up in the search with a $25 price point. 
However, they could have a very low conversion rate on the flip side because people get in there and they think they're paying $25, but then it's actually ultimately costing them $45, including the shipping. So that's something to look at whether or whichever side of that you're on. It's just something to compare in the search with your competitors so that you know how you are coming up in the search engine compared to other people and what that looks like from the buyer perspective. That also means that whether or not free shipping is gonna work for you or it's going to be a priority for you is gonna be really dependent on your industry. If you sell jewelry, for example, you probably need to offer free shipping. Most people are probably going to offer free shipping on jewelry. If you sell pottery or wooden signs or furniture, you need to look at the successful shops on Etsy and see what other people are doing and see whether or not this is something that is going to be a make or break item in your industry and your products. Finally, I wanna talk about some of the business aspects of your business that make people not want to buy or make them pause, think about it, look around, and maybe ultimately not purchase, which lowers your conversion rate. The first one would be your processing times. If they are super pumped about buying from you and they are really excited about this item and about this purchase, but then they get to the checkout or they get to you know the listing page where they're looking at adding it to the cart and they see that the production time is set to six weeks, it's less enticing for them. We as a society want instant gratification. I'm super excited to buy this item right this second and I want it in my hands tomorrow because I want that gratification of ordering it and getting it really quickly while I'm still excited about it. I don't wanna wait six weeks for it because after six weeks of waiting, first off, it's probably not gonna live up to my expectations because now I've been thinking about it for six weeks, but it also is just not that fun because I buy it and then by the time it even arrives to me, I have forgotten that I've even purchased it and so I'm like, oh, there my random thing showed up today. Quick shipping times are key to happy customers. And I understand as someone who does made to order personalized items that cannot be made ahead of time, that this puts pressure on you as the seller to get things out as quickly as possible. I am not saying that you have to have a two day turnaround time and you actually have to get things in people's hands, you know, in just a few days time. I am just saying that you have to figure out within your, your own parameters of your life and the other things that you have going on in your life, how quickly you can get things out and then really work to get them out as quickly as possible. The next major business thing that I see is policies that are not buyer friendly. And I have talked about this before on the podcast. This is a pet peeve of mine. Um, when the sellers are really not understanding their obligation as a seller and as a business on the internet. I totally get it. Customer service is not fun for me anyway. And dealing with unhappy customers is not ever going to be enjoyable. However, if you are selling online, then you need to be as user-friendly as possible given the fact that people can't see and touch and smell and feel your item ahead of time. Now, I am not saying that that means that you have to bend over backwards to accommodate every scammer out there. I don't think that at all. And I am really big and y'all have heard me talk before about having boundaries and take, you know, sticking with your policies and all of that. But if you sell non-personalized items that can be resold 
or items that people have to try on, but maybe they don't know their size, like vintage clothing, you should take returns in your shop. There's no reason not to take returns other than that just that you don't want to deal with it, which I totally appreciate and I understand that feeling, but it's going to make people have less confidence in purchasing from you if they know that they're stuck with something, even if it doesn't work for them. I do want to mention, though, that you don't always have to take refunds or returns, and you don't have to have just a completely open-ended policy. You can set boundaries here. I personally do not allow returns in my shop because everything I do is monogrammed and personalized, but there have been occasions where people have asked for a refund or a return or whatever for some reason that I feel like is somewhat legitimate. And in that case, I lay out really clear expectations and boundaries for how they have to return the item. I almost never give refunds without a return, even though I can't resell the item. My feeling is if it is not good enough for them to want to keep it, then they need to, or it's not good enough for them to pay for it and they want to return it or refund it, then they don't need to keep it. But I also limit the amount of time for the return. For example, I had a situation recently where I can't even really remember the specifics of it, but for whatever reason, I told the person that they could send the item back if they wanted a refund on it. So I made that exception to my policy and I offered a return for a refund, but I told them that it had to be in the mail within the next, like I think it was seven to 10 days at the time. I sent them a return label and everything. All they had to do was package it up and drop it in the mail, and they did not do that. It wasn't worth the, I guess, pain in the hiney for them to go to the post office and drop it off. So to me, that says they don't really care if they get a refund or not. But I'm not going to just proactively refund them for no reason and not make them return the item. If they don't like it enough to pay for it, then they don't need to keep it. The reason that I like to limit the time though is that I'm not interested in having someone ask for a refund and then kick this can down the road for a month and then you know, six weeks later they email me again and they wanna touch base about getting this refund and all of a sudden I'm dealing with this order on this ongoing basis that never stops. If they're not happy with the item, they can take care of it and then we can wrap up our interaction and we're done. But again, these situations are few and far between because of the custom nature of what I do. So I don't want you to feel like you are obligated to take refunds if you're making things that are personalized and custom and everything. But if your items are not custom, they're not personalized, they're just general products that don't have any sort of you know name or anything like that on them, I would really encourage you to examine your return policy and make sure that it inspires confidence in buyers and confidence in your customer service and the fact that you are going to take care of an issue if an issue arises. Lastly, I want to talk about reviews. Reviews are super important to build that buyer confidence. I have seen shops before who will have a bad review in their shop, which we are all going to get from time to time, but then the seller absolutely goes off on the buyer. Don't do that, don't be that person. 
I totally understand and get that it's frustrating when you get bad reviews. But when that happens, you need to approach it as if you are responding to the review and talking to a future customer. That doesn't mean that you should tell this past customer who is leaving this bad review that they're an idiot and they should have read the description and if they could just read better, then they wouldn't be so confused and this is all their fault. That totally may be true, not that they're an idiot, but that they should have read the description better. But buyers wanna know that if there is an issue, you're going to help them and you're gonna take care of it and you're gonna make it right and treat them like a nice person. If you are verbally attacking your previous buyers, that is not going to convey that message. So positive reviews are really important and really critical, but even bad reviews can play a very important part in your business and they can help you to showcase your customer service skills, your respectful way of dealing with people, and your response to them can be equally as important and valuable or even more so than a positive review. I hope that this episode has been helpful for you as you look at your stats and you figure out why people are not buying if your conversion rate is low or how to increase your conversion rate even if it is pretty solid. There's always room for improvement, so I hope some of these tips will help you out as you move forward working towards converting more of those people into buyers in your shop. If you are looking for some more things that can be sneaky mistakes that maybe you don't even realize that you're making or they hurt your sales and they hurt your conversion rate and you don't even know that you're doing them, check out my free masterclass at laurenkeplinger.com forward slash masterclass. It is called Three Sneaky Mistakes That Will Sink Your Etsy Shop and How to Fix Them for Etsy Success. It's recorded and on demand, so when you sign up, you can watch it right away, and I hope that it is helpful and you enjoy that. I will see you next week back here on the podcast. Same time, same place. Bye for now. Bye.